This is Invest Like a Honeybee, the podcast where you learn to be smart with your money and invest wisely. Before we get started, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. I'm not an investment advisor. Please make sure you discuss any changes to your portfolio with your registered advisors. I may continue to hold stocks I discuss in this podcast or not, depending on when you listen to this podcast. This is about Invest Like a Honeybee. I'm Henry J. Speck. Let's get started. Today in my interview, I talk with Mel Lieber, a financial planner with a great deal of experience in a product called an IUL that I really hadn't heard anything about. So I went on a bit of a journey to discover what this investment was and is it right for me? Here's the story. Sorry, um, I'm just happy to have you here. I I, I ask uh, folks uh, to just give me a bit of background, a few minutes. I, I've reviewed your stuff in other videos, so I kind of know, but maybe let the listeners know uh, what brings you here. What's your background, education, experience? Okay, Henry, my pleasure. Let me let you know. Okay, so my wow. name is <laughs> I am in the premium finance space, which is the space that most people don't know what that means. So let me uh, tell you a little bit about how I got to where I am and a little bit about what I do. So I come from a family which is like super, super finance. You know, we used to eat numbers for breakfast. And, uh, you know, everybody in my family is, I'm the youngest of four. My father was a, was a financial planner. My sister's a financial planner. My older brother has a hedge fund and my other brother's a day trader. So we are finance people. And I grew up with that expectation, understanding that that's where I'm going to find myself because, you know, I'm a big math guy. I'm a big numbers guy. I'm a little bit of a geek. So oh, Mel, hang on. Did you, you guys scrap around the table? Like how do all you people, how, how do all that experience sit around and agree on anything? <laughs> so I'll tell you, there's a little bit of an age gap between like my oldest brother and my oldest brother is like 50 already. I'm 37. Okay. So, you know, as a kid, I was more the listening in to what my father and brother would talk about. You know, as a little kid, I thought I knew what I was talking about. As an eight-year-old, every day I would run, open up the New York Times. Remember the, how it used to be with the ticker symbols in the yep. New York Times? Yep. You know, sorry, anybody who's 25 doesn't know what I'm talking about. But we used to every morning run and check the tickers on what the stocks that I thought as an eight-year-old were the top picks and we would uh, see how we're doing and everybody you know I just overheard my my father and brother talking and I got involved I was interested and I actually grew a passion for it even though most people would find it kind of boring so are you are you like a, a regular I'm in Canada I think you're in New York right correct are you a financial planner like what's your designation so I am a financial planner but really I am I don't want to some people kind of misrepresent themselves as being a focus on everything. I'm not a focus on everything guy, although I end up being that advisor for my clients often for, you know, just check out this real estate deal. What do you think about the market? And I'm happy to help my clients out with that, but I don't make any money on that. That's not my official specialty. So let me ask you this, because what I tell folks, transparency is important. So when you're sitting down with someone who's going to advise you on money, I tell them to ask three questions. I'm not going to ask you to answer them. Just tell me if you think these are fair. The first question I, I ask if someone's pitching me, I, I don't want to call it a pitch and disrespect it, but if, if someone's I'll sitting with me. Pitch. I am, I'm straightforward. <laughs> okay, so the, the first thing I say is, is, buddy, do you carry a credit 
card balance and you paid off every month. The second question is, not counting your house, what's your net worth? And the third question is, based on your age and your area of expertise, if 100% is everything you need to know in your business, where do you think you are on that 100% based on your current background, education, training, and experience? So do you think those are fair questions for people to ask financial planners or off base, or what do you think? Um, I'll tell you, on a personal level, Thank God I'm not intimidated by those questions. So, <laughs> Many are. <laughs> I think maybe it's a little, for somebody who's, let's say, starting off and not so successful yet, per se. So, you know, there are some people that are smart, well-researched people that maybe they don't have such a high net worth because they didn't get there yet. And maybe that might be a little bit of an unfair question to some of those beginner types, if you know what I mean. You could be, there's no, I have nothing, there's no problem with a 28-year-old who really knows this stuff, but he hasn't made big money yet, if you know what I mean. So oh, I hear what you're saying. I, we can agree to disagree. I, I'm old. Eh? I'm 67. So I'm an <laughs> old guy. And at 28, I didn't know anything. And at 67, I know tiny bit more like i'm i'm on the concern let, let me give you this example because you know i was yeah. a psychologist for 30 years if, oh. if, if you came to me with your wife for marital therapy and you realized i'd been divorced six times <laughs> no no seriously and and maybe i'm an expert at divorce because i've been through it six times but am i a really should i really be considered an expert at marriage people argue that both ways by the way they say well you would certainly know because you've made all those mistakes Mm -hmm. Other people yeah. would say, well, you're a colossal. I once saw a book that, that a, there's a rabbi that I once met who I saw a book that he wrote a book he, that he called Marriage Advice from the Doghouse. Okay. He's a rabbi who got divorced. And, and that's a, but at least he was, he was straightforward about where he was yep. coming from. Marriage Advice from the Doghouse. But I agree. That wasn't my, I didn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it's tough. It's so, yeah, so let's go. I agree with you. I agree with you in that respect. So, I'll tell you, for example, what I do, my my focus in premium finance, I put personally $30,000 a year every year into this strategy because I believe in it very much. And I thank God make a lot more than I spend. And therefore, I'm able to put, you know, it's not my only form of investing, but I'm putting $30,000 a year for my money into this investment. Okay, so, so let, let's go with that because you, you, you're drilling into it. What do you call the investment? And can you explain it for it? Like, I'm an old guy and I know what it is, but I really don't. Like, I, I spent uh, about five hours yesterday going through this product. I have no clue. And, and one of the key things is transparency, right? Like, if you buy gold, you see it. If you, I buy a lot of real estate, I can go look at a property. I can kick the soil to look at the land. Mm -hmm. What you sell, tell us what it is and yeah, just tell us what it is. Okay, sure. So what I focus on is premium financed life insurance. What that is, is most people in life insurance are familiar with term and whole life. Well, whole life has a cousin, which some people know of and some people don't, called the IUL, Index Universal Life, which what that pretty much is in a very simplistic idea is a investment that you are going to get a return based on the performance of an index that is housed in a life insurance policy. This isn't the only way of explaining it, but I think this is the easiest way of explaining it off the bat in a, you know, I obviously spent hours explaining this to people, but in a couple minute version, it's an investment that is housed within a life insurance policy that grows 
based on the performance of an index. Okay, so, so let's stop there, because before you, because I know you know this and it's easy for you, but if we look at an index, we can all go out and buy ETFs on an index. How mm -hmm. does that differ from putting the ETF index into life insurance? Okay, so there's a very good reason to put it into a life insurance policy. The most noticeable and the reason that has the, the thing that has the biggest effect is that it's not taxable. It's tax deferred and the payments at the end will be tax free. So when structured properly, which everybody's pretty much going to do, you're going to end up having those gains and those returns tax free. Whereas when I go put my money into ETF, I'm going to have to pay taxes. Okay. But where does that money go? I get that. But where does the money actually go? Like if I want to go look at my investment, I can go look at a building or a piece of land or whatever. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to go look at, say, I say I do a hundred grand or hundred million, whatever, with you, wh where do I go look at that? Like, how do I know so where you it is? are going? Similarly to if you, you know, had an account in Merrill Lynch and they went and purchased stocks, right? So you'd be able, you're going to have, you know, something that you're going to have something that you could look up online that's going to show you these are your stocks, this is how much you own. And this is what they're worth. The same idea, you're going to have a one of the large insurance companies in the country. One of these companies that have, you know, there's lots of different options, but most of them are Fortune 1000 companies with, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 billion dollars under management. And they are going to, you know, most of them have been around since mid 1800s. And you'll be able to go onto their website and see exactly where your policy, how your policy looks, how much value it is. And if you don't like going online, you can pick up a phone, give them a call, and they'll tell you what your values are. They'll send you statements that show you from these Fortune 1000 companies that are really in a way very similar to your Merrill Lynch's and Charles Schwab's, just they're in the life insurance side of investing. And they'll show you exactly what your portfolio is. It's very similar to when you own stocks, you don't actually see a physical thing that you own. It's you have an ownership stake in the stocks. So over here, you have an ownership stake in your policy. You own the policy, which has this value. Okay, so it's a policy. So let's say, in, uh, unlike a stock, like in two years or three years, if situations change or a person wants to buy real estate, or can they sell this thing like a stock? So they definitely 100% could cash out. But the caveat is if somebody is expecting to looking for a short-term investment, this is not for them. It will not be worthwhile. It will not be a good investment for the short term. This is something that what I focus on is much more, you know, the gains are much more, much more worthwhile when it is a long-term play. If somebody wants to do something short-term, I have different ideas for them that I could advise them. I, but in terms of Short-term people, this is bad. It's not going to okay, work. Okay, so so let's finish that then. So let's say I give you a hundred grand, and two years later, something happens. I need the hundred grand. How much would I probably get back if it was done two years ago? And today, I want my hundred grand back. Yeah. So you are likely to get back approximately seventy thousand dollars. So you thirty grand is gone. Thirty grand is gone. That was a thirty grand mistake, and that's why I'm very careful with my clients yep. to make yep. sure that they are in the correct position to do this. There so, are other products, by the way, that I will work within which aren't premium financing, which are more fitting for that situation. But for the premium financing 
model, which is what I spend most of my day on, not all my day, but most of my day on, Good. that if the client answers, are you, I'm going to ask the client the question, do you need to touch, are you positive that you do not need to touch this money for at least minimum 10 years, preferably 15 years? And if the client says, I'm not sure, then I go on to, okay, this might not, this is probably not for you. I have something else that might be for you. Okay. So Mel, where did the 30 grand go? Cause that's what someone's going to ask to say, okay, fine. 100%. So it goes into two things. There's the general fees, and then there's something called the surrender fee, which is that really that the insurance company is purchasing the some part of the picture. It's once again, I would have to get more involved, but part of the picture is that they're purchasing long-term bonds that they're planning on holding to fruition, and now. The, and that's part of their strategy. Now that you've sold, they will likely have to sell those bonds early and not hold them to fruition, causing them a loss. And also, whenever they put a policy into place, there are expenses that has to go through underwriting, etc., for them to put it through. They are charging you for that. They don't want you. It's not worth it for them if you are going to be in here for two years because they're going to spend money on the underwriting and they're going to be selling those bonds before fruition, which they do not want to, and therefore they are charging you for it to make sure that you don't do that. Okay, so I understand, just so I can understand this, and then we'll get on with the next question set. So the hundred grand goes into different investments. They would take that, sell me a policy, take the hundred grand and maybe buy a T-bill or other index funds or whatever. They invest it in uh, some very specific way. what they do, but yeah, I would get, that'd be a different, I'll explain that later maybe. But yeah, okay. they have, very specific what they do. We know exactly what they're doing. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Tell us now. What do they do? So what they're doing is they're putting it into something called the general account, which is a big, massified, diversified bond portfolio primarily. It's like 80% uh, bonds. Most of the bonds are high, very high-grade um, commercial business bonds. You know, they're mostly, there's some government bonds in there as well, but that's most of it is not. And there's also like maybe 20% like old real estate, which, you know, not highly leveraged old real estate that's paying a consistent, you know, four or 5% type return. That's, and then what they're going to do within an index universal life policy is they're going to, let's say the return of that general account, like today is around five and a half percent, approximately between five and five and a half, depending on the company. So they're going to put approximately 95% of your money into that general account knowing that at year's end, it's going to get your 100% back to your 100% principal. And they're going to take the 5%, which didn't go into that general account, and they're going to use it to purchase options right. on the index of your choice, whichever index you tell them to buy. They're going to have a list of, let's say, 10 indexes, depending on the companies. Some have six, some have 15. But let's just call it 10 indexes for you to choose from. And you're going to buy, and it could be a combination of the indexes as well you're going to buy options on those indexes. And the options are going to allow you to get, depending on you know which index, up to a certain amount of the upside of that index. Okay, so let's say we do this for 30 years. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the big um, lessons from the Beehive is survivability, which means I get my money back at the end. How confident and what's the probability that I won't get my money back after 30 years? Like, are they A, B, or C, or D bonds? Are they... You know, the probability of getting your, put it this way, I'll tell you, I'll answer, I'll give two answers. Sure, thanks. When we plug the numbers back historically, 
into all the, you know, whatever data we have, which is from the, as far back as the 1920s, you'd get your money back 100% of the time. So in terms of back testing, you're going to get your money back 100% of the time. Now, there's another, which isn't the same. To answer the question of probability, it would be misleading for me to tell you there's a 100% likelihood just because it backtests well 100% of the time. What the future likelihood is going to be somewhat dependent on what the future is going to be. Now, do I know in 40 years if there's going to be a nuclear bomb that's going to hit America and blow up America and America's going to go bankrupt and everything's going to go under and the main currency is going to be bread and tuna cans? I don't know. I can't tell you that. And I can't tell you there's a 0% chance of that happening and for everything to go bankrupt. So it's very difficult for me to give you an exact percentage likelihood based on a future that me and you both don't know what's going to be. So let's I compare can tell it to bonds. I can it 100% of the time. Okay, so let's compare it to bonds. So if I bought a 30-year bond, U.S. or Canada, mm -hmm. unless the government goes bankrupt, if I wait for those 30 years, I won't, someone else will because I'll be dead. But take take that 30 years later. Yeah, I'm 67. <laughs> yeah, I'm 67. So when, <laughs> I look older. Nice, nice dig there. No, bro. I said you're Come only on. 67. Why are you killing yourself in 30 years? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Because I want to go fish anyway. So let's assume that in 30 years, right? I know that if the go your government, which I don't, we don't want to get into politics, or our government, which is about as risky, they're around, right? The 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 fact is, unless they go away, I'm going to get some kind of money back. It might be a different type of money. It might be worthless, mm -hmm. but I'll get it back. So if you compare that bond with your product, is it equal or less secure or more? Like it can't be more because you're buying bonds, yeah. but well, how would so, it rate? I'll tell you like this. Yeah. 90% of the product is the same. And I'll explain that in a second, more or less, maybe not, maybe a drop less than the same. The other 10% is a little bit more variable. And let me explain. Yeah. The base product, which is this RUL that we discussed. So the RUL is... You know, being the, this insurance company is backing it up, so to speak. You know, this massive insurance company. This insurance company is backed up by the state government in whichever state it was sold. And that, that state government is being backed up by the federal government. So with a couple of chain links, it's actually being backed up by the same federal government that's backing up those bonds. Now... Historically, it's never been a problem, and these life insurance policies have always nobody's ever not been, you know, not not gotten paid on these because they are backed up by the government. Now, once again, if the government goes under, the government goes under. Now, there is another factor in this in this equation, which is the policy loans that you are taking, or I should put it, the bank loans to pay for the policy is actually more accurate, which. I didn't even get into the get to that point yet, but in premium financing, we're similar to a real estate investment where you bring in leverage. We are bringing in outside leverage to bolster this investment. So, in theory, the if your borrowing rates were over a long term period higher or significantly higher than your crediting rate and the performance of your investment, then it could in theory go under. Now. That's never happened, and it's never close to happen. And I will give you an argument from an economic standpoint how that never should happen. 
Now, that doesn't mean just because I could give you a good argument from an economical standpoint why that should never happen. And as I told you, historically, that never did happen. There could be something that never happened that might happen in the future that I never thought of and most other professionals have never thought of how that would work out where you're going to have borrowing rates higher than, I mean, it would be like bonds outperforming stocks over a long-term period. Has it ever happened? Not really, over 40 years, you know, 30 years, and that doesn't happen. Could it happen? In theory, the basic economics says there's risk premium. Generally, a stock market, therefore stocks are gonna have a higher return than bonds or else everybody would just buy bonds and nobody would buy stocks. Because, you know, that's just how it works. Why bonds did you pick this product, Sharpen up. Why did you pick this product? Because you have a, you're a really smart guy. Where did you go to school? You seem like graduate school. Where, where, how far did you go? Yeah, to I went to a place called MJI, Michigan Jew Jewish Institute. I also actually have a, I also got a a, a, a degree in Talmudical law. That's okay. a, a rabbinic degree. So you're a seriously I, so. smart guy. So I got to ask of all your options in the world, why did you pick this product mainly? I love that question. Thank you. It's the only one you love so far. So let's go with that one. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You've been great. Go ahead. What, so like what do you this. think? Here's, here's the reason. You ready? Mm -hmm. Right when I was getting, get a story also besides the reason. When I was starting to, you know, start my professional career and I was looking around what industry to go to, you know, I see like, for example, like all the mortgage brokers, it's just about who could scream louder to get the deal. And then you know, look around a lot of all the real estate agents, a lot of a lot of things are about who could scream louder and everybody's doing the same thing. All the whole life agents, they're more or less doing the same thing. It's who could scream louder. And I wanted to find something that was interesting, different, and something that really helps the client. I wanted to find an amazing product. So I had to ask myself a question: what is an amazing financial product? And I think you're gonna agree with me on this. Uh, what's a good fine? Is a bonds good or bad? They're good, but is real estate stocks good or bad? What's good in real uh, investment is when generally the higher the risk, the greater the reward, the lower the risk, the lower the reward. So bonds, yeah, they have a low risk, low reward. Stocks relatively higher risk, higher reward relatively, right? Real estate is more on the maybe, especially, you know, we see recent times, you one may argue highly leveraged real estate, well, at least they, is somewhat higher risk, higher reward. Now, I found that this product that I'm working with, you get a very high reward compared to the risk that you're taking. I think it's a very low risk where you're still, where you, you're usually going to get like the product that I most of the time spend my time with, usually you're going to get on your money, low double digit type returns, annual returns for what I believe is a relatively low risk. So to have a low risk and a high return, that's what makes something a good investment. And when I found that, I'm like, oh, bingo. And I also found something that was interesting, complex. I could use my brain to try to help people. It's going to be very helpful for people. And not everybody's doing it. Not everybody knows about it. Not everybody understands it. So I found, oh, that's my niche. That's where I'm going to focus on because it's something that I could take my talents, take my brain power, understand, try to explain it to people. And therefore, I could help people and help myself. And oh, okay about who could get the business because I scream louder. So so let me answer that one question because you kind of threw it back there. To me, I, I, I'm interested in buying dollars for 40 cents. So like the Beehive, I'm looking at 
how how do I get the best value? And that to me is the the major upside with minimal downside in something I understand. And so mm-hmm. I I think you know we can we can have a great discussion about that. But I guess what's important to understand is I kind of understand. Let me summarize, and you correct me, please, because I want people to understand what it is you do, uh, because yeah. obviously there's a market for it. So it sounds like what happens is if a person has a long-term frame of reference, mm-hmm. uh, isn't going to need the money for 20 to 30 years, and mm-hmm. wants to take an investment and put it into something so that when they take it out, it's tax-free, this might be something they should talk to their financial advisors about. Is that kind of safe yeah i think that's very uh that's very accurate because i think you know the classic like thought pattern that people usually have in that in that fact pattern is the ira the 401k which i'm not saying they aren't good tools they are fine tools but a lot of people are going to get whacked on taxes when they take it out meaning if somebody's plans to you know is a career non-high earner and is going to be paying no taxes when they take out the 401k and IRA money, then they'll be okay. And for them, it might be a very good product. For the person that's probably going to be in a high tax bracket when they're taking the money out of their 401k and IRA and going to be paying heavy taxes at that point later in life, which taxes, by the way, will likely be up, this product will highly outperform those general 401ks and IRAs because you're going to end up getting the money tax-free. And one more point that you're going to like is... You don't know. <laughs> I, I know you're like... You, I, I already saw when you said real estate, I saw the smile on your face. So this is... <laughs> so you're going to like this because it's something we all know that 401... No, we all know. I shouldn't say that. Me and you probably know. We all don't know this, but me and I you I don't know very know. much, Mel. Don't give me yeah. credit for anything right that now. Now, 401k Seriously. and IRA are governed by ERISA laws, which therefore stipulate you cannot use any leverage. We all know a good real estate investment is going to have... I mean, we could argue on whether 60 70 80% leverage, what's the safe, what's the right amount of leverage to make a a real estate investment flourish. But we all know that leverage is a very powerful tool to enhance your, the return on your investment. So my, the concept that we use, we are using that we're taking advantage of that leverage, which general 401ks and IRAs are incapable of. That's why our return is going to be much higher. What percent is the leverage Mel? Because in the, in the beehive, we talk about survival and, leverage will kill you right i mean if we i mean i lived through 22 percent. you were just a thought in your parents eyes when interest rate was 22 percent, and i had mortgages at 14 and 15 buying real estate cash flow so i mean if interest rates hit 20 percent, what happens uh so this is actually a very interesting question and the i wish i'd give you a short i'll give you i'll give you the short version the short version of the answer to that question is that the growth of this product is actually tied to interest rates. And I'll explain you what I mean. Hang on, hang on. You told me 90% is in a bond fund that gets destroyed when interest rates go up. Uh, not if That's if you sell bonds. But when you hold bonds to fruition, then at the this bond fund, right? Yeah. It's one thing I just got to actually break your question up into two, go ahead. two possibilities. Yeah. I'm first going to discuss when bonds go up steadily to a very high rate. The second discussion is going to be when it goes up rapidly. 
You're talking interest goes, rates or the value? Sorry, interest rates or the value of the bond? The interest rates. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. When interest rates go up steadily, not rapidly. So what's going to happen is we all know that as interest rates go up, new bond purchasing is going to have to give a higher yield. To get me to buy a bond, you're going to have to give a higher yield when interest rates go up. Right? Right. Yeah. Because, you know, it's usually going to be, you know, these type of bonds that we're talking about, it's usually going to be approximately 2% higher the return on these bonds versus the, the, the current interest rates. The current, whatever, it used to be LIBOR, now we'll call it SOFR, whatever we're yep. going to be using nowadays, right? So it's usually approximately 2% higher, the, 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 these bonds. Now, remember I told you that we are going to put 95% of your money into the general account, and that's going to get to the 100% that you started the year with? And the rest is going to, the other 5% is going to be used to purchase options on, on the index of your choice? Right, I thought it was ninety ten, but whatever. Yeah. And I said before I said today it's ninety five five. Oh, okay. Okay. Rounding off, it's ninety five okay. five. So if that if interest rates would go up, you know, slowly, and then the bond return of the general account, the the average yield of that general account will slowly be going up as well, with a little bit of a lag, but it's going to be slowly going up as well. Let's say. That would be 10% would be the return, or maybe I'll say 11%, but maybe make math a little bit easier. So let's say the, the return of the general account will be 11% instead of today's 5%. While interest rates are going up, how could that be possible? Because when interest, we're not selling the bonds midterm. Okay. As so since we're not selling the bonds midterm, we're gonna be holding them to fruition. Now, if let's say, my, right now, it's 5% is the average yield. But mm -hmm. let's say I start buying bonds at 10%. Okay. I'm an insurance company. Start, so my average yield in my fund is going to be going up. Right. I, and eventually, as it goes up, it, my the average yield of this fund is going to be go, rising and rising and rising. So let's say that average yield gets to 11%, for argument's sake, because I start buying 15% bonds and eventually gets to 11%, that yield. Now, instead of putting 95% of my money into that general account, which at year's end with a 5% growth would reach your 100% principal, once again, rounding off numbers, I'm going to be putting 90% of the money into that general account. That general account is getting a yield of 11, 90% of your money, yield of 11. That brings you to your 100% principal, rounding off numbers. And therefore, now I'm going to have 10% of the money, not five like today, but I have 10% of the money to buy options. If I have double the amount of money to purchase options, I'm going to be able to get double the amount of options, double the return. So in that scenario, my return will be double. So my cost of money will double, but my return will be double. So let me ask and, you two quick questions because you know we're running out of time, right? We just have a bit of time left. Um, what has been the return in the past, say, five years on average or of the uh, fund? So my policies, I actually just did a, a thorough review of the policies that I've sold in the last eight years. And the average with prefect without factoring leverage, the average re, the average return of the of the actual pure product has been a tad under eight percent. 
And the average cost of money has been three and a half percent. What about after? Is that after fees? That's that 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 is not after fees. So what would it be after fees? So this is a little bit uh explain to you in a minute. I don't have yep. the exact number on the things, but I just to explain. As sure. I told you previously, that in the earlier years, the return isn't so great on these right. products. That's right. Yeah. Because it has the way that these products work. Unlike, let's say, if you go to Merrill Lynch, the way, and you get a, some advisor, you'll be paying a percent per year for as long for the next fifty years, as long as you have it. And as it grows, you're paying more and more and more because, I mean, hopefully your, hopefully your portfolio is growing, but you're paying a percent as it grows of even higher numbers. Over here, the payments are for the first ten years primarily. After that, the payments are very very little. So, so they're front loaded. What you're saying is they're front loaded. So therefore, if you look over a 30-year period, your average payment, you know, we're talking about, you know, of the accumulated value, we're talking about an average, like if you're younger, it'll be like 25 basis points. If you're older, it'll be like 50 basis points. For the, that would be the, the fees of the of everything when you view it over a 30-year span. But if you only view it in the first 10 years, you're talking about at least one and a half percent or so front-loaded at this point. One percent, yeah. So okay. therefore, those fees are going to have a significant effect, and you're not going to see those real numbers. Okay, Mel. I mean, you've been really upfront and honest, and I really appreciate you know you sharing this, and and you've been so good with the questions. And I I understand. I think I get a bit of it. it it's a tough concept, right? It, it yeah. it must be hard. That, that's one of the one of the challenges that I yeah. have in my business. Yeah. I'm not here and selling lollipops. And trust me, it tastes good. And it's a very complex concept, and therefore, it usually takes multiple meetings for people to really understand, really get it, to really answer their questions. Because I really don't want to sell anybody anything until they're or advise yeah. anybody anything until they're they're comfortable and they're confident. Once in a while, I get that phone call from somebody. It happens every once in a while. Yeah, I know my brother did this thing with you. He gives thirty thousand dollars a year. Can we do it? Oh, let me explain you how it works. Now. I don't really care. Just like, what, what? how do I sign up for this? Where are you going to be in 10 years, Mel? Yeah. Final where question. I'm going to be exactly where I am. Um, I'm just, you know, growing, steadily growing my business. Thank God I'm not a workaholic in any way, shape, or form. I have five kids, married with five kids. I have a great Congrats, time. That's fantastic. And um, I'm, things are going well. I'm not complaining. I'm very happy how things are. Listen, I've been steadily growing. I hope to continue to steadily grow. I make a lot more than I than I spend. I'm happy. Any of those Any of those three questions you want to answer that I ask all okay, these? What were the three questions again? Please remind me. <laughs> do you, just say uh, pass. Do you pay your credit card bill off every month? Yes, uh, easily. Definitely. Net asset value. Never not. Net, net <laughs> asset value, not counting your house. Um, we're somewhere north of a million. Okay, and what percent of everything do you need to know? Do you think you know in your profession? A hundred would be everything. Is let me let me qualify that question. <laughs> is that you're way too smart for that question, Mel? <laughs> yeah, is it percentage of like all the knowledge out there of things that are vaguely connected? What you, no, the better way, sorry, it's a bad question. The best way to ask it is what you believe you need, like the Michael Jordan idea, he would be 100% in his field. And obviously, so what would you, what number do you think, if you look at your profession, do you believe you are? 
I think I'm, I think I, I, I'm at the 95% mark or so. Okay. Cause I know, I know what I under, I have a greater understanding than the high majority of people in my profession. Are you talking a silo in the, I, I, I forgot the, uh, index it, universal it, it, life yes, in the world. premium finance world. Uh, I, I know that I am well more sophisticated than the high majority. Okay. And the premium, fi I just, I got to get clarity. Is that your brand or is that like a big brand around the world? Like premium, okay. I thought that was your thing. So yeah, that's a little confusing. There's yeah. the concept is called premium financing. Right. My company is called finance premiums. Okay. So finance premiums is the name of my company. Got it. But the concept is called premium financing. Okay, final point. If people want to learn more, uh, financial planners and so on, how do they get hold? Just tell us how they get a hold of you. Yeah, the best way is call is email me at Mel M-E-L at financed with the D at the end, premiums with the S at the end dot com. Or give me a call, 347-619-2999. And Mel, it was great talking to you. I wish we'd sit down and have a coffee because there's so many other things I wanted to talk to you about because I yeah. know your background in education. I, I would love to as well. One thing that I just want to throw off the bat. Yep. I have to apologize, but you personally are not really a candidate. Uh, <laughs> I knew that. I, I think the value of what I do would be lost in your age bracket. Wow, because I'm 67. Yeah, I'm not calling you old or anything. Sure just, you are. You're 37, man. Come on, I'm old. I'll I'm just saying I'm that the story, there's a lot of people out there that would try to sell you what I do. I'm a, a believer, as I told you, that it's all about when we have that longer time span, yep. that this product becomes more powerful. I understand like, because in 20 years, I'm looking before I get into the plus and I'll be pushing daisies, right? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I was going to... Is that uh, <laughs> I was going to present it that way, but um, yeah, the, there's not enough time for you to get the real benefit from what I do. How old would I have to be, like at the end? No, I mean, listen, you could do it and start taking out money at seventy-seven, whatever. But you know what? There's a good argument to be made that there's other products yeah. out there that will be of greater value for you. I appreciate your honesty, Mel. That's why I love talking to you. Anytime, man. I'd love to talk to you again. <laughs> okay, my pleasure. Take I really care. Bye-bye. Remember to pick up my latest book, What Grandpa Learned from His Honeybees, the little book to be smart with your money and help the environment on Amazon or Audible. Pick it up today.